0: Good morning. This is Tavo DRC Greetings. I'm in the early a.m. where I just got to wake up and ready for it and hear God more clearly. So peaceful, so calm. And then when I get that, you know, done, I can move along to the next thing. So we're trying to hear God and trying to, you know, really help benefit, really bless, but also protect some of the ones that are not Novices that are really in a new move of God, that really do have a word from the Lord, that do have original call, whether it's to be a fivefold office, a leader, an artist, whatever. One who's got the chief originator in their soul, their DNA from the Lord, and that means a call from the Lord to be commissioned by the Lord to do a new work. That's an apostolic thing. In our ministry, the word, vocabulary word, means lowercase letter, which denotes Paul the way he wrote it in the fivefold offices in ministry, servant leadership, to keep it so that nobody gets a big head. In our ministry, we're referring to maybe if you're the head doctrine originator for your move, your work, that God has given you, you're like the chief apostle. And there are many can be different kinds of chief apostles, males and females, all colors, But it's just you have to know that if God gives you that specific call and tells you this is what he wants, then you've got to be responsible and accountable before the Lord for the final day. You have your personal life, your real life there, but you have the ministry call. And if you're the head one, the head visionary, married or not, the head visionary is the one that is the responsible chief apostle. Now you can get married, you can be, have helpers, all that you want, but the original doctrine originators whom I speak from that point of view, this point of view, but also to help you weed out and winnow out what is wheat from chaff and all this teaching and life that we live and lead right now. So when I teach, I teach for the background of coming up with sound Christians in ministry, my father was a pastor, he was a Baptist pastor, Southern baptist, but he wasn 't the kind with the yoke of legalism he wasn 't a uh, <clears throat> he was not a flamethrower or a bigot, a prejudice, you want to name it, He was not a religious right or left, he was just himself and not an accuser, and he dwelled with my capable and lively mother, young thinking mother. In a very happy household, very smart household. And they were well thought out, well studied in the Bible, but well versed, but not in a religious, you wouldn't know they were religious, they were Christians. And then my grandmothers were scholars on both sides of the Bible, teachers. So I just sort of grew up with it in osmosis, like a sound framework for what is a real Christian in ministry without pretension, persona, trading off some other famous, you know, some famous minister's name to get ahead, bucking the system, all these things. It was just a daily walk with the Lord, like Billy Graham maybe, taking up your cross and following the Lord. But no one talked about it. It just you learned it by being around it. So I was given that grace, that big blessing. And when I went out to study, Lord said after I'd really met Jesus on my own, made Him Lord, and when I was like 16 to 17, became a part of the Jesus movement, then, you know, not officially, but just sort of identified with that young thinking and down-to-earth, casual, relaxed, I just sort of went about my way and did what I felt the Lord wanted, and I did evangelism, and I did writing, and I did thinking and studying, because I'm a basic scholar. When I was 24, after I got married, I was sitting one day in a half-Presbyterian, half-Charismatic church. The moves of God had started that were affecting our nation and the young people. So I was there, married, no children, and the Lord put on my heart, impressed upon me strongly. I want you to study my body. I want you to study the different kinds of Christians, what they believe, their doctrine, their look, their lifestyle, and also what they, their pet peeves. And their music, and that meant all colors, and sure enough, God opened that door for me right away with racial healing, repentance from the, you know, from the denominationalism and the racial backgrounds and things that went on in the history of our nation, in our country, in our life, personally. And my mother, who had uh, been, at one point, this, you know, through the years, my mother, who had been like an aristocracy type, but a Christian servant leader, but still come up from the blue blood or whatever. And they had slave owners and all that stuff. Um, she and I went to a meeting, one of these meetings at a black pastor who was leading it and leading us. And we all repented from that. And we, We just, uh, it was amazing. My mother did that. And she, I had, when my mother had, when I was like 18, 17, my mother wanted to fill me in on all our family history. And she knew it all, all the names, all the, whatever they did, but because I knew the Lord and I knew it wasn't right, I didn't want to have an elite type thing. I wouldn't let her tell me. And I wish I knew a little bit more. All I know is that Tavo, you know, Tavo is my last name in the family. And there is a church from the French Huguenots down in Cordsville, uh, South Carolina, Tavo. But to me, that's just a sign of pioneering and being an apostle, planning a new work, and maybe a little bit of passion, Christian passion for the things of God, the work of the Lord. Many times my last name, which is Tavo, you know, is a given name, but it was a last name. Uh, my father, my grandfather and my mother's side was Augustus Tavot. They called him A.T. Now they call me T. in Texas, basically. So, anyway, um, so when I went up as my name, I never thought of it as anything, you know, just a name. And then when I got to where I was out in the body of Christ and around with more people, people think sometimes you're Cajun. I'm not Cajun, but we're both maybe intense. I want to be, you know, if the Lord has made me intense, I'll be intense. I'm not a controller, though. I will not control people, beat people down, because I've had it done to me more than twice. And I know how bad that feels. Therefore, I take up the cause of justice, you know, so that God doesn't have to bring judgment. He doesn't want to bring judgment. I'm talking to the Christians, the born-again Christians. Because he doesn't want, I'm taking up the cause of passion for the things of Christ, the Messiah, who is not a racist, a bigot, a bias, a name-caller, an accuser. You know, Satan, the accuser, in the Old Testament Genesis, in the form of a gender male, hate to say. And also, Jesus gave back the power over the accuser, in all of our lips, our lives, our self-government, and how to handle under being under persecution. could be even false persecution with Phariseeism in Revelation 12. So he's not an accuser, he is just though. Happily I grew up with a respectful, wonderful man of God in the home, my father, who was a great husband and he wasn't an accuser. He was just, but he wasn't an accuser. He was for right, but he wasn't for religious right, and he made me very very, I don't know, just he never said this verbally, but I just picked it up. You don't go after people and name-call them. We don't witch-watch. We don't suspect and sin-spy and be Pharisees. That's too much of what's going on right now and has been in giving Jesus Christ a confusion, a black smear on His name, and He paid for us He paid a great debt. He went on the cross and hung there and suffered for you and me. I don't want to make his name tainted and ruined by legalism, accusation, sin spying, fault finding, Phariseeism, racism, tawdry tabloid Christian press. I don't want to do that. I want to say let's assess, but let's not persecute any other faith. Let's assess but let's assess ourselves first. I'm not going to go out and say I'm against all the LGBTs. I met too many nice friends. too nice ones through the years. Taught with them. Males and females worked with them. Got served at barista coffee shops by certain ones. Man, I'm not going to put anybody down for their identity. Because no, everybody's confused. I could be confused. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say first. Whether you're hetero or homo. I'm looking at you as somebody God made, an individual with your own history, your choices, your experience, and also things that people did to you and put upon you. And Some of you were so criticized and had things that were equal to racism against you, whether it's homosexual persecution, whether it's gender bias, whether it is racism, whether it's religious bias you're not good, or that you were out of wedlock, or something like that. It's just a lot of sin, going. you know, hate stuff going on. That's not Christ. I believe that if we respect people, if we train people to respect everyone, equal opportunity, real respect for the office of the human made in God's image, Psalm 139, from the last president to this president to the next president, and then pray for everybody, everybody in every party... Pray for me, I pray for you. We all try to get along for the sake of society and the osmosis of what our children are picking up. They're picking it up whether you say it in your house, if you watch the news or hear the community, they're picking this up. So I think before anybody evaluates Jesus, they need to get past the Christian, the born-again preacher, parent, mama, me, you. You just hear God and read the Bible and read Jesus when He was alive, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then see how He acted and reacted to everybody he met, male or female, old or young, different race, sinner in the in the church or without his mama, and then act like Jesus, and He can tell everybody about their choices. He can tell everybody but he never sin spied He never pointed people to oversee and cast down on their reputations. He never was hostile to anybody who had sinned. Only the human Pharisee does that. So we're for letting, us start all over by being, reading the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how Jesus acted and reacted in his community, personally and in ministry around the area, to his mother Mary, and act the same. He can tell everyone personally, Based on Ephesians 4 common doctrine, which is Pauline, how to behave, what to do, what not to do. In my opinion, if we focus on what's going right, that no matter what their identity, their color, their background, their choices, that they are equal opportunity worthy of being really respected. Maybe not everyone trusted, even the born-again Christian, but everyone is respected equally. That would help a lot of the walls... And hate come down. If we then say Ephesians four, common doctrine, you know what? You and I may not agree on everything that Paul wrote. You may not like what Paul wrote or is in the Bible, and that's not my business. You got to know that you are going to stand alone before the Lord for your choices, but so will I, so will we all. Therefore, I want to be on God's good side. <laughs> I want to do what He says. After all, He's the Creator, the Father wrote the book. He made the owner's manual. It's just the warped, perverted, often teaching or critical law that comes out, or people who don't really have good character or quality that warp the teaching and then give Jesus and the Father a bad name, a bad rep. And that's in our nation and on media. So let's work on cleansing our own house, our own lips, our own life, and then go after the law as the next thing. So I'm teaching things that will be beneficial to help people avoid feeling like they're attacked by the Christian and avoid the Christian being falsely informed so they train the next generation and teenagers to do the same fault-finding bitterness. And you know, that's sad. That's like gall. I'm sure Christ would cringe That he cringes at what goes on in his name under the sun from Hollywood to playboy to, you know, Hollywood playboy types to user people. People who who willfully use women or men like Eli Temple, I priesthood who are fault finders, money pressure people. I'm sure he grieves. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves me. The idea is the first line of defense is respect. The second one is warn people that the Christian that you know that might be in front of me may be the worst, maybe the devil in disguise to keep you from knowing Jesus, who he really is, and how much he loves you. And he came to save your soul from the pit, not create a pit for you to live in now by making you the devil. So let's get this out there, and please pray for me. We are really sent to the young people, the people that... Are thinking like this because I meet them all the time. I have been. God sends me out to people, but we want you to know that you are respected and valued. And if you've had violence, we've been there too. So we want to have some gatherings and meetings. I Have other people besides me that want to have workshops. We want to do things to help people overcome and get out of that horrible pit of feeling that abuse. When that, you know, even though people have been abused and they've moved on from that. Person who did it, the perpetrator, the villain—they can still have that left in there as a, you know, remnant to be healed. And I've been there. I used to live. For some of you, Psalm 143, it says, "My mind has grown dead. I feel like I'm dead because you get such violence, cursing you out, and you know, just mistreatment and spiritual warfare. It's like a demonic warfare. So we want to be there, and then we want to pray for you." Have area gatherings in DFW. If you're interested, you can email me at DFWleader at gmail.com. The idea is nobody's, we're all humans, so we just got to move on and grow up, but do our best to enjoy our life, our stay on the earth. So if I look at Phariseeism, you know, there's favor, Jesus' favor, God's favor in your life, and there's Phariseeism. That means attack that. You're accused by somebody, a religious person. I look at Paul and I'm gonna make this not too long today, but I look at Galatians book and I notice that Paul wrote the book to the he called them the deceived Galatian church. He said they were under the control of witchcraft, some kind of witchcraft to me it was probably legalism. Why are you back under the law? When I've Jesus has come to give you freedom, says Paul. And I think they might have. It sounds like they might have been Pharisees attacking and accusing Paul of not being in submission to authority as they knew it, their kind of government. Why do I say that? Because I've had that experience, frankly, I'm quite persecuted by it, frankly, in ministry. But then I, um, but then I realized Paul set it straight as an authority, as a Christian chief apostle who wrote. God gave him revelation and grace granted to write two-thirds of the New Testament to the churches. And so he comes with his authority, and he opens up with his authority, Galatians 1, 1, and 2, and he says, I am Apostle Paul, sent out by God, not sent out by any one man, no human, and not sent out by any one group. I still have authority, God's authority. I'm commissioned by the Lord, but I'm not sent out by any popular preacher, any famous name, any work that's already established and or any person you would know because Paul was sent by God. And I am advising that as a wisdom for many people in this new move, old or young, that know in their spirit, in a mature, balanced fashion, a wise fashion, that they are the top leader and it's something so new that you need to make sure you guard it, govern it, and guide it with the authority of the Lord, and not be moved by any accusation or fear from any Pharisees or ministers that may feel competitive or that they are threatened by you. Because they are like that, immature. So Paul starts off his letter announcing his authority, and he says, I, Paul commissioned by God, not sent out by any one person or any one group, but I and the brothers that are with me. So Paul wasn't a lone warrior. We're not for that. We're for being accountable, accessible. And then people, uh, Paul said himself that he was fashioned by God. I was made into God's minister. I didn't join some club and they fashioned me. The Lord fashioned me over years and the process to make sure I was pure and hearing him correctly. The other part is, Paul said to the people that listened and followed him and his writings, he said, I'm proud of you for being noble Bereans. The Jews were picking apart his doctrine, his teaching, even as a teaching on authority to see if it really lined up with the Bible in that day, which was the Torah. We're not in the old day. This is not the old. This is not a complaint. This is a teaching freedom from Phariseeism crazymatic within charismatic, basically. This is to help people winnow out when it's somebody accusing them because they're under the law, they're ignorant, they're clueless, they're not trained, and they're critical because they're basing it on the old shepherding, Western European Levitical patriarchism mostly, or Levitical patriarchism, matriarchism. That means everybody's got to be covered. Everybody's got to be under somebody, and it's usually them. So, we're saying that when we researched, when God took me time, I've researched the Old and New Testament, then we found that a lot of it is just modern day yeast of the Faducees and tradition. And it's well intentioned, it served for a purpose, but back now it is a new day, it's not the same. And we have to have everyone without any condemnation from fellow Christians, accusation. They assess they assess the deed if they are over you or they feel it's they're entitled to do it they come and make it a polite respectful relationship preserving hopefully humble meek appointment to face to face one to one confront which is submitted they're submitted to Matthew 18:15 through 17 and Galatians 6:1 I say this because I was jumped more than once on the East Coast, once out here in Dallas, by the same hoop jumping authority of Phariseeism. accused without even knowing me, asking my name, recognizing I'm a peer sent by God, so therefore to avoid because I am strong, God has made me strong. I have to. I want to teach people so they can avoid it and get their confidence and their authority on their own, and then not. Label, accuse, blackball, smear the name, and ruin God's witness of people who are different from them, like these people have done or do. So I'm teaching Galatians 6, excuse me, 3 1, along with close friends of Galatians 6 1. That keeps jumping up every time I try to mention this in my spirit. If you feel that somebody is in sin, if you, Galatians 6 1, if you fear. Somebody is usurping your turf. If you fear or have a feeling or know they're in sin, they really are in sin. Galatians six one says that the elder is supposed to politely and respectfully, male or female, go over there and confront them in a spirit of meekness and humility so that the same thing doesn't happen to them. They might fall in the sin later and they want to be preserved. Galatians Goes right in hand with Matthew 18:15, which is what is so missing along the Pharisee lines. They have, they may have sticklers and foin points for being under authority, their kind of control, but they avoid completely. Historically, I mean, totally, fully, completely. No one has ever confronted me. I have been jumped. I have been accused. I have my name, <laughs> my reputation ruined by this. Certain places, not everybody, but just that kind. Because now I know that's their pattern. They avoid real relationship. That's the point in my saying it. Real relationships, community, preserving, body of Christ, movement, Ephesians 4. That's us. So if you feel, you know, it's like the old tabloid in a local area. Oh, I saw, I thought I saw so-and-so. It's a woman and she was with a man that isn't her husband. Do they go over there? And confront and say, Is that what's going on here? Is there hanky panky? No, instead, they see it, then they report to the other Pharisees. My version today, if it were me, if you think you're entitled, if you're that nosy and it's your business and you have God's authority and His reason to wonder so much that you talk about it to everybody else, then you need to get off your high horse follow the Word of God, fall on your knees, and then go over there in Matthew 18, 15, ask them point blank, are you in sin? What's going on here? If you feel it, you're that arrogant. And that plain old nosy, you got to know, just like the National Enquirer, inquiring minds got to know that's Phariseeism to me. So let's work on the repentance of Phariseeism. Accusation, if you're that full of authority, that nosy, then you need to talk to him up front. So if you see me with anybody that displeases you, that is your choice to ignore Matthew 18, 15, Galatians 6, 1, in a meekness and humble spirit, and I'll do the same for you. So from now on, no more gossip, no more tawdry. I saw it look like, oh, sin spying Phariseeism. All right, let's go back on point. So here's Paul trying to confront and really set straight and correct the Galatian church who he said was back under witchcraft. What is witchcraft? I mean, after I've been out with charismatics, to be you know, I'll be honest, you get a lot of c- accusation from them. And a lot of it is because they believe in witch. You know, they know the spirit realm, and I'm not minimizing demons. But then can get to a frenzy by getting it, you know, they inf- they empower it by looking for it too much. So I thought, I'll just research like a noble Berean ought to. I'm going to research Jezebel. I'm going to research the teaching on witches. What is witches? You go back to Samuel with the King, uh, king Saul, and he consulted the witches of Endor. They can be really witches. They're just humans who've gone after control And they need more power, they have low self-esteem, they can't get things to work, so they'll go after more power, and they have unbelief, they're negative, so they'll go toward the wrong side. Satan, you know? But when you look at the basic, run-of-the-mill witchcraft, white witchcraft, charismatic, soulish, praying against people, all this weird, you know, distracting, fragmenting things of the Christian community. Fellowshiping with the saints. You look back and it says that rebellion, alright, if you want to have equal opportunity witchcraft for everybody, you better watch out for your own and my own rebellion. We're not into rebellion, but it says that rebellion, it, in Samuel, Old Testament, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is the same as idolatry. So if you're stubborn, you're not easily entreated, you're not James 3.17 in your relationship, you're practicing idolatry self-control. If you have to be over everybody, if you have to curse everybody out, that's you and the Lord's issue, but it's a you problem. You need to fix it with God's help. So if you look at witchcraft, I would say that a lot of Christians, born-again Christians, are fooling themselves that they're not practicing witchcraft if they're not submitted to God's whole counsel. If they have no fear of the Lord, if they accuse people and not assess people, if they're in rebellion and omit selectively certain scriptures that they don't want to teach, which is Matthew eighteen, fifteen, Galatians six, a lot of the time with Phariseeism. If they want to do their own thing and avoid certain scriptures they don't like, you know what? That's your choice. But you and God are going to settle it one day in the near future before his throne and I'm not going to be there. I don't mean that legalist legalistically Ephesians 4 common doctrine, one lord, one faith, one baptism, when God the father of us all marks a a real Christian. Then Paul comes in and he says and and Jesus said himself there is one way to heaven. All right. There is one way you can research what Jesus said online. It says there are many, it looks like there are many ways, but there's only one way that leads to the Father. (laughs) Paraphrase. But Paul comes in with the women do not teach, uh, don't do this, avoid that, fellowship with the saints, don't forsake it, command, all those things which throw the body of Christ, especially Pharisee ministry, into a tizzy of turmoil. I believe that God gives us every one of Paul's commands, everything in his Bible, as a truth to follow. But he also knows, let me add this, that we are human and have what is called besetting sins. Weaknesses, real weaknesses, family generational weaknesses like alcoholism. Things of that nature, addiction. And God knows that you may, some of you have a pure heart, want to do it right, but you slip and fall off the wagon time after time. To me and my family, our addiction has been white sugar. It has been refined brownies. (laughs) It's I read once that the refined sugar molecule, white sugar, has the same, it's only one molecule away for cocaine. And leave me. I would be really good when my mother was passing. I'd be really good and I'd be eating correctly when I lived over in my side. But when I'd go see my mother in my sister's house where they bake brownies literally every single day, I came from that, and they're wonderful people, of course. But I would feel like my sugar demons came out, and I started to look around where's the all right, where can I get a brownie? I want a brownie. As soon as I, it was like an addiction. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, we're human. We've got to be human, not fault finding, but assessing, not accusing. So when I look to Paul, thank the Lord for grace and Paul without. Lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? That means using, twisting scripture to get what you want. I think, how can you tell you, lasciviousness when people are preachers or ministers or Christians? It's because they put the use of scripture, they employ scripture to get what they want at the expense of another relationship because they have no fear of the Lord or real love if you say well i'm going to talk about somebody when i could have made an appointment to confront them and they choose that even though the bible is saying here's what you do then they don't love that person they don't want to give in that relationship sense they only want to preserve themselves and look good so we got to go back some big issues here that are affecting the body i'm really for community more than church believing i mean i mean church club membership. I'm for fellowshipping. I fellowship. I like fellowshipping, but I don't want to be owned or possessed. And that was the feeling I used to get that made me so uncomfortable when I got out studying the body among the Pharisees, the religious Pharisees, who really seemed to be like the ones in Matthew 28 that God rebuked openly, that Jesus rebuked. They weren't like family. They were like overseer owners. I think of slaves, to be honest. I grew up, I was born in Alabama. I didn't live there. My father was in the, um, my, my relatives were there, my grandmother. And I was, my father was from Dallas, postage stamp size, Dallas, Georgia. So we had a lot of deep South, but nobody was, a, a, they were Christians. They weren't biased. They were Baptists. They weren't charismatics. Uh, but they were not, Religious, they were like loving and laughing and smart scholars, and they would help people, the poor, and they were always good neighbors. So I grew up with that basic, down to earth type view. So when I got out with Phariseeism, accusing people under the name of the law or watching for church hoppers, a big deal to me. I really just thought it was like, I've never. Baptists don't do it. Catholics don't do it. Black people, I don't think you do it. To me, it's like M Y O B. Mind your own business. You got enough going on without somebody on your case—a local Pharisee with all his buddies or her buddies keeping track of minding every other people's business. Oh, I know that they're sinners because they don't go to church. Uh Uh-oh, they go to more than one church. I saw them at two or three when I got—I always when I was married and I grew up as a minister. You just have a regional sense. And I would feel led to go to a meeting because God says to study as different kinds of Bible believers, you know, ministers. So I'd be seen. I'd bump into a few of these people that turned out to be a cast of characters called Pharisees. I didn't know it. Well, they would not talk. I would not talk. We'd greet from afar. I'd say hi. They'd smile. Well, then I found out I was being accused as a church hopper when no one had talked to me. And I realized, is it a sin? Is that the biggest sin I was committing of being a church hopper, a perceived, assumed, presumptive church hopper for being seen at more than two or three meetings? And I thought, what's in the doctrine? What's wrong with this doctrinal picture? And I realized that Paul had a house-to-house ministry. Everything was house-to-house, which is the same. Nobody owned anybody. Nobody was a Pharisee watching because God didn't set us up to mind everybody's business and know who, who does what. Who, do, who, do, <laughs> who does what? When I was growing up, I think it started, my parents had a church. They used to call it a church field out in the country. And we. my mother, who was... I guess real hyper about being noticed, being watched. She wanted to live in this little country, a little town nearby, five miles away. So she would not be in the parsonage to be watched. (laughs) I guess this is where it roots are. So we would, I was the only child for first eight years. And so the three of us on Fridays would leave town. They taught school and had the church field. And so we would go out of this little teeny town one way, and they noticed that they had a couple of church members who were known to be busybodies, who were always on the porch watching everybody go and come. So my mother had the idea, let's go around the other way and leave to go out to the big city of Richmond to get away. So I would hear that little kid in the back seat of the car would notice that people gossip, that people are watching, and that it's best not to be watched just to get out and go the other way. So, to me, the notice of people minding my business, keeping track of me, my husband, whether without confronting me, taking time to show me their love and respect by asking point blank, to me it's a sign of violation. I feel violated when I'm gossiped about. I feel that gossip, tail presumptive, Phariseeism, accusation from afar, sin-spying, is violation of my God-given right to be a human, but also of relationship and love in the Christian body. So that's my policy. So when we have Apostle Paul, let's go back to Galatians 1, he sets the field straight for the Pharisees. He said, listen, y'all can call me whatever names you want. You can call me legalistically out of order, in rebellion, not submitted, spread rumors, gossip like Pharisees are known wide to do. But I'm going to tell you who I really am. I'm sent out by God. And I realize I and the brothers that are with me, there are more people than me hearing that. But you need to know officially this is a real legitimate form of government authority in the Bible. And I'm teaching this because people are not aware that God's chosen firstborn loves born-again Christians. Ministers do not recognize this. Okay. I think for the sake of the day of the weirdness we're in that we each, who's got a real mature call... Each one should be this. That didn't mean you don't fellowship. That didn't mean you don't ask people to be in a, you know, that you're accountable to, hold you accountable authority. That didn't mean you don't join something. It just means you're not owned by them. That's your protection. Paul, you know, coming from this side of things, this far in ministry, Paul might have been given that wisdom by God not to be under, officially under another ministry or another person so that he couldn't be bought he couldn't be their slave he couldn't have editing on his opinion that god needed him to give as a first church apostle chief apostle a doctrine originator which ended up writing two-thirds of the new testament that's my theory well here i i mean When I was raised, I was always raised that, you know what, the man is the head of home, and I believe that, that the the man's the pastor, the man is this. I never, I guess in many ways, my mom was real strong, but she was still not the pastor. She was the pastor's wife, and that was fine with me. I never wanted to do what I do. (laughs) I never knew what I know now. or I didn't care. I always thought a female leader I didn't want to be a, a head pat. I didn't want to do all this stuff because I was Baptist and I didn't want to be unfeminine, but I went through things. God took me through things that were so bad, so merciless, so full of legalism, so much of accusation, including domination that he shook the fear completely out of me and maybe not care what Pharisees think or say, or what I hear in the news or on TV or online. I'm not, I'm not to be trying to be moved at all. I'm trying to think what is really in the Bible and why are so many people falling away? That's my bottom line. I thought I'd rather be a misfit and please God. And I've been more like that ever since moving to the lawless. I mean, law, either, either really religious and legalistic or completely lawless in the fact, no love deep southwest this whole area i've never been it's the driest place with no fear of the lord i'd ever been in in my life and now i'm meeting a new you know there's always pockets that you can find good that are not all like that and i'm in that now and i love it i'm just enjoying it but i remember i can always remember the long decades i spent of warfare in my mind thinking, man, I'm just a weirdo. I'm just a nut. I'm just, I don't really ever feel like I was really a nut. But I thought, man, that condemnation accusation. So I put up on our ministry some great songs. If you're under middle warfare like that, persecution from your own Christian relatives in the body in our nation. One of them is Not Guilty by Morningstar on YouTube. (laughs) And I love the one that's the 10 minute long one from Dallas, Fort DFW Upper Room. Uh, surrounded, this is how I fight my battles. I mean, those take the, strip the warfare off. It's amazing. So I believe in practice. That's why I like worship. Worship drowns out the Pharisee accusation and your persecution at home from the one that says they love you, the spouse or the dominating accuser, abuser. Very helpful. All right, so we go back and we think, why would Paul choose to say that He is not under their Levitical Old Testament form of government. He called it witchcraft. When I have examined when Lord allowed me to study shepherding, controlling shepherding, it is using the law to have minimal relationships with women, people of dark skin, and it is used, it does accuse people for not being under them. It jumps people. That's Levitical law. I call it Levitical patriarchism. Western European usually, Western well, Western European Levitical patriarchism, which is shepherding. The old fashioned, comes from the deep south. I believe it comes up from overseers, carpetbagger types. During slavery, when somebody had poor self-esteem and they need to be over somebody and the people weren't going to do it because they didn't really respect them, but now they got the law on their side and they can condemn them and ruin their reputation. Have complete authority over them and use the Bible to prove it. So we're using the Bible to get out from condemnation by by perceptive, seerish doctrine. So we want you to have a merry heart. A merry heart does as good as a less. You know, when I've been around the most, you can have joy, but you can have great joy. And I work for full joy. Pharisees do not have, they don't yet have full joy. They don't even know about full joy. Once you have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. That's another reason. A lot of people don't understand real women. I've noticed Phariseeism, the whelp does not. It's sort of like women are second class, third class, black people usually. And uh, they may not know it, but that's their tradition and that's how they project it. Or else they just have never met a real woman who has no secret agenda. And I deal with real men all the time. And there's so many polite ones and really wonderful ones. I think we're the ones, but when you're over in Welp, they're like, what in the world? They're just like dainty. There's not a spirit of might, and I do have a spirit of might. That is what helps me keep preserved <laughs> from what I've been go through. I've been through. When you get jumped in the back, or you know, up in the front of a church, and you're least suspecting, you're quiet, acting like James three seventeen, easily entreated all the time, fully respectful, and they accuse you, start to ream you out for using their awful vocabulary like witch watcher and. You're just standing there wanting to introduce yourself, say hello politely. And they call you like I was called out out in the deep south. God sent you here, said the head Pharisee lady, because you're not under submission to any authority. And I went, what? How do you know me? I've never even met you before, and we've never talked. You don't even know my name. And that spirit, is it's a spirit, a religious spirit, a dead spirit back under the law. But anyway, God is so good. We want to think about new things. I heard a minute. Lord was telling me this, and then I heard this in a church. This is my opinion. Now I'm submitting it to you. We're in a, we're in a new place. That new place may be seeming raw or far off. Don't be anchored down or moved by the, back, the past. Don't get all focused too much on the future because God hasn't downloaded it yet. He needs to download what he wants everything and everyone to do at every timing. The Christians I'm talking about, however, work on right now, we're to work on whatever it is he says to do and don't put that off. And I'm doing that. One of the things the Lord had told me, and I went to a conference, I do believe in getting out with the body because I want to hear, I don't want to be an Island, a law by God's, a law to myself or a law against legalism to myself. I want to make sure I'm, know, well-balanced, well-versed with God's help, and I still always have to work on that. I want to. So I was at a conference, and they were talking about uh, the Word of the Lord said that what you do now, if you do it in the next few months, it will help you 10 years, 8 to 10 years down the line. But what if you disobey it and not do what He's told you to do repeatedly, it will also affect you 8 to 10 years. And I looked at myself, and I said... God, I've had a lot of pressure, a lot of warfare, no really good home life privately. And I went, all right, Lord, I keep putting off the weight. Eating, I eat correctly, but it's been so much pressure, you fall. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to buckle down. I'm not looking to the past. I'm not looking to the future. I'll do whatever he says. But that is what I kept, I really felt to really lose the weight. Get it all off, be ready. So I am every day working on it. And we ask you to do it off because you want to have health in 10 years. You want to be here in 10 years. You're needed here now, but also in 10 years for your family and the work of the Lord. But God is good as mercy endures. We're for God's people. We're for you. Even if you tend to be a Pharisee or have been a Pharisee, we forgive you. God forgives you. But we're not going to, you know, I said, <clears throat> I had a phrase and I got to go. If you say that you're a part of the Bible belt, then some of you need to remove that old plastic traditional buckle. That old timey plastic, insincere, faking, putting it off buckle on your Bible belt. To be the real Bible belt, you're going to have to really be a noble brand in the fear of the Lord, respectful to all kinds of men and women, young and old children, not an abuser, not an accuser, not a religious right, not a political partisan, but a one who's for the kingdom, who takes part in the kingdom across all colors, all styles, and all seasons, and all ages. We're intergenerational. Enter in to intergen, that's us. God is good. His mercy endures. God bless you. We're thankful for you. Uh, If you want to write and get prayer, dfwleader at gmail.com. If you'd like to sow and give, we're ready to go out. God wants us to get out better equipped to get a tour bus, a vehicle where we can sleep in it and go tour and witness to the born again evangelists, to the born again people groups to make sure they're really, really ready to go, really are the are really saved. That's our market. 2020 Clear Vision. So please pray for us and support us by going on onlinefellowship.us and look on the right at the, the giving link at the top. God bless you. He loves you. This is Tavo DRC signing off for now. Bye bye. Good morning. This is Tavo DRC. Greetings. I'm in the early AM where I just gotta wake up and ready for it and hear God more clearly, so peaceful, so calm. And then when I get that, you know, done, I can move along to the next thing. So we're trying to hear God and trying to, you know, really help benefit, really bless, but also protect some of the ones that are not novices that are really in a new move of God, that really do have a word from the Lord, that do have original call, whether it's to be a Fivefold office, a leader, an artist, whatever. One who's got the chief originator in their soul, their DNA from the Lord, and that means a call from the Lord to commissioned by the Lord to do a new work. That's an apostolic thing. In our ministry, the word vocabulary word means lowercase letter. Which denotes Paul the way he wrote it in the fivefold offices in ministry, servant leadership to keep it so that nobody gets a big head. In our ministry, we're referring to maybe if you're the head doctrine originator for your move, your work that God has given you, you're like the chief apostle. And there are many, can be different kinds of chief apostles, males and females, all colors. But it's just you have to know that if God gives you that specific call and tells you this is what he wants, then you've got to be responsible and accountable before the Lord for the final day. You have your personal life, your real life there, but you have the ministry call. And if you're the head one, the head visionary, married or not, the head visionary is the one that is the responsible chief apostle. Now you can get married, you can be, have helpers, all that you want, but the original doctrine originators whom I speak from that point of view, this point of view, but also to help you weed out and winnow out what is wheat from chaff and all this teaching and life that we live and lead right now. So when I teach, I teach for the background of coming up with sound Christians in ministry. My father was a pastor. He was a Baptist pastor, Southern Baptist, but he wasn't the kind with the yoke of legalism. He wasn't a, uh, he was not a flamethrower or a bigot, a prejudice, you want to name it. He was not a religious right or left. He was just himself and not an accuser. And he dwelled with my capable and lively mother, young thinking mother, In a very happy household, very smart household. And they were well thought out, well studied in the Bible, but well versed, but not in a religious, you wouldn't know they were religious, they were Christians. And then my grandmothers were scholars on both sides of the Bible, teachers. So I just sort of grew up with it in osmosis, like a sound framework for what is a real Christian in ministry without pretension, persona, trading off some other famous, you know, some famous minister's name to get ahead, bucking the system, all these things. It was just a daily walk with the Lord, like Billy Graham, maybe, taking up your cross and following the Lord. But no one talked about it. It just you learned it by being around it. So I was given that grace, that big blessing. And when I went out to study, Lord said after I'd really met Jesus on my own, made Him Lord, and when I was like 16 to 17, became a part of the Jesus movement, then, you know, not officially, but just sort of identified with that young thinking and down-to-earth, casual, relaxed, I just sort of went about my way and did what I felt the Lord wanted, and I did evangelism, and I did writing, and I did thinking and studying, because I'm a basic scholar. When I was 24, after I got married, I was sitting one day in a half-Presbyterian, half-Charismatic church. The moves of God had started that were affecting our nation and the young people. So I was there, married, no children, and the Lord put on my heart, impressed upon me strongly. I want you to study my body. I want you to study the different kinds of Christians, what they believe, their doctrine, their look, their lifestyle, and also what they, their pet peeves. And their music, and that meant all colors, and sure enough, God opened that door for me right away with racial healing, repentance from the, you know, from the denominationalism and the racial backgrounds and things that went on in the history of our nation, in our country, in our life, personally. And my mother, who had uh, been, at one point, this, you know, through the years, my mother, who had been like an aristocracy type, but a Christian servant leader but still come up from the blue blood or whatever and they had slave owners and all that stuff um she and i went to a meeting one of these meetings at a black pastor who was leading it and leading us and we all repented from that and we We just, uh, it was amazing. My mother did that. And she, I had, when my mother had, when I was like 18, 17, my mother wanted to fill me in on all our family history. And she knew it all, all the names, all the, whatever they did. But because I knew the Lord and I knew it wasn't right, I didn't want to have an elite type thing. I wouldn't let her tell me. And I wish I knew a little bit more. All I know is that Tavo, you know, Tavo is my last name in the family. And there is a church from the French Huguenots down in Cordsville Cordsville uh, South Carolina Tavo but to me that's just a sign of pioneering and being an apostle planning a new work and maybe a little bit of passion Christian passion for the things of God the work of the Lord many times my last name which is Tavo you know is a given name but it was a last name My father, my grandfather, and my mother's side was Augustus Tavo. They called him A.T. Now they call me T in Texas, basically. So anyway, um, so when I went up as my name, I never thought of it as anything, you know, just a name. And then when I got to where I was out in the body of Christ and around with more people, people think sometimes you're Cajun. I'm not Cajun, but we're both maybe intense. I want to be, you know, if the Lord has made me intense, I'll be intense. I'm not a controller, though. I will not control people, beat people down, because I've had it done to me more than twice. And I know how bad that feels. Therefore, I take up the cause of justice, you know, so that God doesn't have to bring judgment. He doesn't want to bring judgment. I'm talking to the Christians, the born-again Christians. Because he doesn't want, I'm taking up the cause of passion for the things of Christ, the Messiah, who is not a racist, a bigot, a bias, a name-caller, an accuser. You know, Satan, the accuser, in the Old Testament Genesis, in the form of a gender male, hate to say. And also, Jesus gave back the power over the accuser, in all of our lips, our lives, our self-government, and how to handle under being under persecution. could be even false persecution with Phariseeism in Revelation 12. So he's not an accuser. He is just, though. Happily, I grew up with a respectful, wonderful man of God in the home, my father, who was a great husband, and he wasn't an accuser. He was just, but he wasn't an accuser. He was for right, but he wasn't for religious right. And he made me very, very, I don't know, just, he never said this verbally, but I just picked it up. You don't go after people and name-call them. We don't witch-watch. We don't suspect and sin-spy and be Pharisees. That's too much of what's going on right now and has been in giving Jesus Christ a confusion, a black smear on His name, and He paid for us He paid a great debt. He went on the cross and hung there and suffered for you and me. I don't want to make his name tainted and ruined by legalism, accusation, sin spying, fault finding, Phariseeism, racism, tawdry tabloid Christian press. I don't want to do that. I want to say let's assess, but let's not persecute any other faith. Let's assess but let's assess ourselves first. I'm not going to go out and say I'm against all the LGBTs. I met too many nice friends, two nice ones, through the years. Taught with them, males and females, worked with them. Got served at barista coffee shops by certain one. Man, I'm not going to put anybody down for their identity because no, everybody's confused. I could be confused, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say first, whether you're hetero or homo. I'm looking at you as somebody God made, an individual with your own history, your choices, your experience, and also things that people did to you and put upon you. And Some of you were so criticized and had things that were equal to racism against you, whether it's homosexual persecution, whether it's gender bias, whether it is racism, whether it's religious bias you're not good or that you were out of wedlock or something like that. It's just a lot of sin going, you know, hate stuff going on. That's not Christ. I believe that if we respect people, if we train people to respect everyone, equal opportunity, real respect for the office of the human made in God's image, Psalm 139 from the last president to this president to the next president and then pray for everybody, everybody in every party. Pray for me, I pray for you. We all try to get along for the sake of society and the osmosis of what our children are picking up. They're picking it up whether you say it in your house, if you watch the news or hear the community, they're picking this up. So I think before anybody evaluates Jesus, they need to get past the Christian, the born-again preacher, parent, mama, me, you, you just hear God and read the Bible and read Jesus when He was alive, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then see how He acted and reacted to everybody he met, male or female, old or young, different race, sinner in the in the church or without his mama, and then act like Jesus, and He can tell everybody about their choices. He can tell everybody, but he never sin spied He never pointed people to oversee and Cast down on their reputations, he never was hostile to anybody who had sinned. Only the human Pharisee does that. So, we're for letting us start all over by being reading the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John how Jesus acted and reacted in his community, personally, and in ministry around the area to his mother Mary and act the same. He can tell everyone personally. Based on Ephesians 4 common doctrine, which is Pauline, how to behave, what to do, what not to do. In my opinion, if we focus on what's going right, that no matter what their identity, their color, their background, their choices, that they are equal opportunity worthy of being really respected. Maybe not everyone trusted, even the born-again Christian, but everyone is respected equally. That would help a lot of the walls... And hate come down. If we then say Ephesians 4, common doctrine, you know what? You and I may not agree on everything that Paul wrote. You may not like what Paul wrote or is in the Bible. And that's not my business. you got to know that you're going to stand alone before the Lord for your choices. But so will I. So will we all. Therefore, I want to be on God's good side. <laughs> I want to do what he says. After all, he's the creator. The father wrote the book. He made the owner's manual. It's just the warped, perverted, often teaching or critical law that comes out or people who don't really have good character or quality that warp the teaching and then give Jesus and the Father a bad name, a bad rep. And that's in our nation and on media. So let's work on cleansing our own house, our own lips, our own life, and then go after the law as the next thing. So I'm teaching things that will be beneficial to help people avoid feeling like they're attacked by the Christian and avoid the Christian being falsely informed so they train the next generation and teenagers to do the same fault-finding bitterness. And you know, that's sad. That's like gall. I'm sure Christ would cringe That he cringes at what goes on in his name under the sun from Hollywood to playboy to, you know, Hollywood playboy types to user people, people who who willfully use women or men like Eli Temple, I priesthood who are fault finders, money pressure people. I'm sure he grieves. It grieves the Holy Spirit grieves me. The idea is the first line of defense is respect. The second one is warn people that the Christian that you know that might be in front of me may be the worst, may be the devil in disguise to keep you from knowing Jesus, who he really is, and how much he loves you. And he came to save your soul from the pit, not create a pit for you to live in now by making you the devil. So let's get this out there, and please pray for me. We are really sent to the young people, the people that are thinking like this because i meet them all the time i have been god sends me out to people but we want you to know that you are respected and valued and if you've had violence we've been there too so we want to have some gatherings and meetings i have other people besides me that want to have workshops we want to do things that help people overcome and get out of that horrible pit of feeling that abuse when that you know even though people have been abused and then they've moved on from that person who did it, the perpetrator, the villain, they can still have that left in there as a you know, remnant to be healed. And I've been there. I used to live, for some of you, Psalm 143, it says, my mind has grown dead. I feel like I'm dead because you get such violence, cursing you out and you know, just mistreatment and spiritual warfare. It's like a demonic warfare. So we want to be there. And then we want to pray for you. Have area gatherings in DFW. If you're interested, you can email me at DFWleader at gmail.com. The idea is nobody's, we're all humans, so we just got to move on and grow up, but do our best to enjoy our life, our stay on the earth. So if I look at Phariseeism, you know, there's favor, Jesus' favor, God's favor in your life, and there's Phariseeism. That means attack that. You're accused by somebody, a religious person. I look at Paul, and I'm going to make this not too long today, but I look at Galatians' book, and I notice that Paul wrote the book to the, he called them the deceived Galatian church. He said they were under the control of witchcraft, some kind of witchcraft. To me, it was probably legalism. Why are you back under the law when I've Jesus has come to give you freedom, says Paul? And I think they might have. It sounds like they might have been Pharisees attacking and accusing Paul of not being in submission to authority as they knew it, their kind of government. Why do I say that? Because I've had that experience, frankly, I'm quite persecuted by it, frankly, in ministry. But then I, um, but then I realized Paul set it straight as an authority, as a Christian chief apostle who wrote. God gave him revelation and grace granted to write two-thirds of the New Testament to the churches. And so he comes with his authority, and he opens up with his authority, Galatians 1, 1, and 2, and he says, I am Apostle Paul, sent out by God, not sent out by any one man, no human, and not sent out by any one group. I still have authority, God's authority. I'm commissioned by the Lord, but I'm not sent out by any popular preacher, any famous name, any work that 's already established and or any person you would know, because Paul was sent by god and i 'm advising that as a wisdom for many people in this new move, old or young, that know in their spirit in a mature, balanced fashion, a wise fashion that they are the top leader and it 's something so new that you need to make sure you guard it, govern it, and guide it with the authority of the Lord and not be moved by any accusation or fear from any Pharisees or ministers that may feel competitive or that they are threatened by you. Because they are like that, immature. So Paul starts off his letter announcing his authority and he says, I, Paul commissioned by God, not sent out by any one person or any one group, but I and the brothers that are with me. So Paul wasn't a lone warrior. We're not for that. We're for being accountable, accessible. And then people, uh, Paul said himself that he was fashioned by God. I was made into God's minister. I didn't join some club and they fashioned me. The Lord fashioned me over years and the process to make sure I was pure and hearing him correctly. The other part is, Paul said to the people that listened and followed him and his writings, he said, I'm proud of you for being noble Bereans. The Jews were picking apart his doctrine, his teaching, even as a teaching on authority to see if it really lined up with the Bible in that day, which was the Torah. We're not in the old day. This is not the old. This is not a complaint. This is a teaching freedom from Phariseeism crazy within charismatic, basically. This is to help people winnow out when it's somebody accusing them because they're under the law, they're ignorant, they're clueless, they're not trained, and they're critical because they're basing it on the old shepherding, Western European Levitical patriarchism mostly, or Levitical patriarchism, matriarchism. That means everybody's got to be covered. Everybody's got to be under somebody, and it's usually them. So, we're saying that when we researched, when God took me time, I've researched the Old and New Testament, then we found that a lot of it is just modern day yeast of the see and tradition. And it's well intentioned, it served for a purpose, but back now it is a new day, it's not the same. And we have to have everyone without any condemnation from fellow Christians, accusation. They assess they assess the deed if they are over you or they feel it's they're entitled to do it they come and make it a polite respectful relationship preserving hopefully humble meek appointment to face to face one to one confront which is submitted they're submitted to Matthew 18:15 through 17 and Galatians 6:1 I say this because I was jumped more than once on the East Coast, once out here in Dallas, by the same hoop jumping authority of Phariseeism. Accused without even knowing me, asking my name, recognizing I'm a peer sent by God. So, therefore, to avoid, because I am strong, God has made me strong, I have to, I want to teach people so they can avoid it and get their confidence and their authority on their own and then not. Label, accuse, blackball, smear the name, and ruin God's witness of people who are different from them, like these people have done or do. So I'm teaching Galatians 6, excuse me, 3 1, along with close friends of Galatians 6 1. That keeps jumping up every time I try to mention this in my spirit. If you feel that somebody is in sin, if you, Galatians 6 1, if you fear. Somebody is usurping your turf. If you fear or have a feeling or know they're in sin, they really are in sin. Galatians 6.1 says that the elder is supposed to politely and respectfully, male or female, go over there and confront them in a spirit of meekness and humility so that the same thing doesn't happen to them. They might fall in the sin later and they want to be preserved. Galatians goes right in hand with Matthew 18.15, which is what is so missing along the Pharisee lines. They have, they may have sticklers and foin points for being under authority, their kind of control, but they avoid completely, historically, I mean totally, fully, completely. No one has ever confronted me. I have been jumped. I have been accused. I have my, name, <laughs> my reputation ruined by this. Certain places, not everybody, but just that kind. Because now I know that's their pattern. They avoid real relationship. That's the point in my saying it. Real relationships, community, preserving, body of Christ, movement, Ephesians 4. That's us. So if you feel, you know, it's like the old tabloid in a local area. Oh, I saw, I thought I saw so-and-so. It's a woman and she was with a man that isn't her husband. Do they go over there? And confront and say, Is that what's going on here? Is there hanky panky? No, instead they see it, then they report to the other Pharisees. My version today, if it were me, if you think you're entitled, if you're that nosy and it's your business and you have God's authority and his reason to wonder so much that you talk about it to everybody else, then you need to get off your high horse follow the Word of God, fall on your knees, and then go over there in Matthew 18, 15, ask them point blank, are you in sin? What's going on here? If you feel it, you're that arrogant. And that plain old nosy, you got to know, just like the National Enquirer, inquiring minds got to know, that's Phariseeism to me. So let's work on the repentance of Phariseeism. Accusation, if you're that full of authority, that nosy, then you need to talk to him up front. So if you see me with anybody that displeases you, that is your choice to ignore Matthew eighteen fifteen, Galatians 6, 1, in a meekness and humble spirit, and I'll do the same for you. So from now on, no more gossip, no more tawdry. I saw it look like, oh, sin spying Phariseeism. All right, let's go back on point. So here's Paul trying to confront and really set straight and correct the Galatian church who he said was back under witchcraft. What is witchcraft? I mean, after I've been out with Charismatics, to be you know, I'll be honest, you get a lot of c- accusation from them. And a lot of it is because they believe in witch. You know, they know the spirit realm, and I'm not minimizing demons. But then can get to a frenzy by getting it, you know, they inf- they empower it by looking for it too much. So I thought, I'll just research, like a noble Berean ought to, I'm going to research Jezebel. I'm going to research the teaching on witches. What is witches? You go back to Samuel with the King, uh, king Saul, and he consulted the witches of Endor. They can be really witches. They're just humans who've gone after control And they need more power, they have low self-esteem, they can't get things to work, so they'll go after more power, and they have unbelief, they're negative, so they'll go toward the wrong side. Satan, you know? But when you look at the basic, run-of-the-mill witchcraft, white witchcraft, charismatic, soulish, praying against people, all this weird, you know, distracting, fragmenting things of the Christian community. Fellowshipping with the saints, you look back and it says that rebellion, alright, if you want to have equal opportunity witchcraft for everybody, you better watch out for your own and my own rebellion. We're not into rebellion, but it says that rebellion, it, in Samuel, Old Testament, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is the same as idolatry. So if you're stubborn, you're not easily entreated, you're not James 3.17 in your relationship, you're practicing idolatry self-control. If you have to be over everybody, if you have to curse everybody out, that's you and the Lord's issue, but it's a you problem. You need to fix it with God's help. So if you look at witchcraft, I would say that a lot of Christians, born-again Christians, are fooling themselves that they're not practicing witchcraft if they're not submitted to God's whole counsel. If they have no fear of the Lord, if they accuse people and not assess people, if they're in rebellion and omit selectively certain scriptures that they don't want to teach, which is Matthew eighteen, fifteen, Galatians six, a lot of the time with Phariseeism. If they want to do their own thing and avoid certain scriptures they don't like, you know what? That's your choice. But you and God are going to settle it one day in the near future before his throne and I'm not going to be there. I don't mean that legalist legalistically. Ephesians four common doctrine one Lord one faith when baptism, when God the Father of us all marks a a real Christian. Then Paul comes in and he says and, and Jesus said himself there is one way to heaven. Alright. There is one way you can research what Jesus said online. It says there are many, it looks like there are many ways, but there's only one way that leads to the Father. Paraphrase. But Paul comes in with the women do not teach, uh, don't do this, avoid that, fellowship with the saints, don't forsake it, command, all those things which throw the body of Christ, especially Pharisee ministry, into a tizzy of turmoil. I believe that God gives us every one of Paul's commands, everything in his Bible, as a truth to follow. But he also knows, let me add this, that we are human and have what is called besetting sins, weaknesses, real weaknesses, family generational weaknesses like alcoholism, things of that nature, addiction. And God knows that you may, some of you have a pure heart, want to do it right, but you slip and fall off the wagon time after time. To me and my family, our addiction has been white sugar it has been refined brownies <laughs> it's i read once that the refined sugar molecule white sugar has the same it's only one molecule away for cocaine and leave me i would be really good when my mother was passing i'd be really good and i'd be eating correctly when i lived over in my side but when i'd go see my mother in my sister's house where they bake brownies literally every single day I came from that and they're wonderful people, of course, but I would feel like my sugar demons came out and I started to look around. Where's the, all right, where can I get a brownie? I want a brownie. As soon as I, it was like an addiction. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, we're human. We've got to be human, not fault finding, but assessing, not accusing. So when I look to Paul, thank the Lord for grace and Paul without lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? That means using, twisting scripture to get what you want. I think, how can you tell lasciviousness when people are preachers or ministers or Christians? It's because they put the use of scripture, they employ scripture to get what they want at the expense of another relationship because they have no fear of the Lord or real love if you say well i'm going to talk about somebody when i could have made an appointment to confront them and they choose that even though the bible is saying here's what you do then they don't love that person they don't want to give in that relationship sense they only want to preserve themselves and look good so we got to go back some big issues here that are affecting the body i'm really for community more than church believing i mean i mean church club membership. I'm for fellowshipping. I fellowship. I like fellowshipping, but I don't want to be owned or possessed. And that was the feeling I used to get that made me so uncomfortable when I got out studying the body among the Pharisees. The religious Pharisees who really seemed to be like the ones in Matthew 28 that God rebuked openly, that Jesus rebuked. They weren't like family. They were like overseer owners. I think of slaves, to be honest. I grew up, I was born in Alabama. I didn't live there. My father was in the, um, my, my relatives were there, my grandmother. And I was, my father was from Dallas, postage stamp size, Dallas, Georgia. So we had a lot of deep South, but nobody was, a, a, they were Christians. They weren't biased. They were Baptists. They weren't charismatics, uh, but they were not Religious. They were like loving and laughing and smart scholars. And they would help people, the poor, and they were always good neighbors. So I grew up with that basic, down to earth type view. So when I got out with Phariseeism, accusing people under the name of the law or watching for church hoppers, a big deal to me, I really just thought it was like, I've never, Baptists don't do it. Catholics don't do it. Black people, I don't think you do it. To me, it's like M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. you got enough going on without somebody on your case, a local Pharisee with all his buddies or her buddies, keeping track of minding every other people's business. Oh, I know that they're sinners because they don't go to church. Uh Uh-oh, they go to more than one church. I saw them at two or three. When I got, I always, when I was married, and I grew up as a minister, you just have a regional sense And I would feel led to go to a meeting because God says to study as different kinds of Bible believers, you know, ministers. So I'd be seen. I'd bump into a few of these people that turned out to be a cast of characters called Pharisees. I didn't know it. Well, they would not talk. I would not talk. We'd greet from afar. I'd say hi. They'd smile. Well, then I found out I was being accused as a church hopper when no one had talked to me. And I realized, is it a sin? Is that the biggest sin I was committing, of being a church hopper, a perceived, assumed, presumptive church hopper, for being seen at more than two or three meetings? And I thought, what's in the doctrine? What's wrong with this doctrinal picture? And I realized that Paul had a house-to-house ministry. Everything was house-to-house, which is the same. Nobody owned anybody. Nobody was a Pharisee watching because God didn't set us up to mind everybody's business and know who, who does what. Who, do, who, do, <laughs> who does what? When I was growing up, I think it started, my parents had a church. They used to call it a church field out in the country. And we. my mother, who was... I guess real hyper about being noticed, being watched. She wanted to live in this little country, a little town nearby, five miles away. So she would not be in the parsonage to be watched. (laughs) I guess this is where roots are. So we would, I was the only child for first eight years. And so the three of us on Fridays would leave town. They taught school and had the church field. And so we would go out of this little teeny town one way, and they noticed that they had a couple of church members who were known to be busybodies who were always on the porch watching everybody go and come. So my mother had the idea, let's go around the other way and leave to go out to the big city of Richmond to get away. So I would hear that little kid in the back seat of the car would notice that people gossip, that people are watching, and that it's best not to be watched just to get out and go the other way. So, to me, the notice of people minding my business, keeping track of me, my husband, whether without confronting me, taking time to show me their love and respect by asking point blank, to me it's a sign of violation. I feel violated when I'm gossiped about. I feel that gossip, tail presumptive, Phariseeism, accusation from afar, sin-spying, is violation. Of my God-given right to be a human, but also of relationship and love in the Christian body. So that's my policy. So when we have Apostle Paul, let's go back to Galatians 1, he sets the field straight for the Pharisees. He said, listen, y'all can call me whatever names you want. You can call me legalistically, out of order, in rebellion, not submitted, spread rumors, gossip like Pharisees are known wide to do, but I'm going to tell you who I really am. I'm sent out by God. And I realize I and the brothers that are with me, there are more people than me hearing that. But you need to know officially this is a real legitimate form of government authority in the Bible. And I'm teaching this because people are not aware that God's chosen firstborn loves born-again Christians. Ministers do not recognize this. Okay. I think for the sake of the day of the weirdness we're in that we each, who's got a real mature call... Each one should be this. That didn't mean you don't fellowship. That didn't mean you don't ask people to be, in a you know, that you're accountable to, hold you accountable, authority. That didn't mean you don't join something. It just means you're not owned by them. That's your protection. Paul, you know, coming from this side of things, this far in ministry, Paul might have been given that wisdom by God not to be under, officially under, another ministry or another person so that he couldn't be bought he couldn't be their slave he couldn't have editing on his opinion that god needed him to give as a first church apostle chief apostle a doctrine originator which ended up writing two-thirds of the new testament that's my theory well here i i mean When I was raised, I was always raised that, you know what, the man is the head of home, and I believe that, that the the man's the pastor, the man is this. I never, I guess in many ways, my mom was real strong, but she was still not the pastor. She was the pastor's wife, and that was fine with me. I never wanted to do what I do. (laughs) I never knew what I know now. or I didn't care. I always thought a female leader I didn't want to be a, a head. Pat- I didn't want to do all this stuff because I was Baptist and I didn't want to be unfeminine. But I went through things. God took me through things that were so bad, so merciless, so full of legalism, so much of accusation, including domination, that He shook the fear completely out of me, and maybe not care what Pharisees think or say, or what I hear in the news or on TV or online. I'm not I'm not trying to be moved at all. I'm trying to think what is really in the Bible and why are so many people falling away? That's my bottom line. I thought I'd rather be a misfit and please God. And I've been more like that ever since moving to the lawless. I mean, law either either really religious and legalistic or completely lawless in the fact no love deep southwest this whole area i've never been it's the driest place with no fear of the lord i'd ever been in in my life and now i'm meeting a new you know there's always pockets that you can find good that are not all like that and i'm in that now and i love it i'm just enjoying it but i remember i can always remember the long decades i spent of warfare in my mind thinking, man, I'm just a weirdo. I'm just a nut. I'm just, a, I don't really ever feel like I was really a nut. But I thought, man, that condemnation accusation. So I put up on our ministry some great songs. If you're under middle warfare like that, persecution from your own Christian relatives in the body in our nation. One of them is Not Guilty by Morningstar on YouTube. <laughs> and I love the one that's the 10 minute long one from Dallas, Fort Roo, DFW Upper Room. Uh, surrounded, this is how I fight my battles. I mean, those take the, strip the warfare off. It's amazing. So I believe in practice. That's why I like worship. Worship drowns out the Pharisee accusation and your persecution at home from the one that says they love you, the spouse or the dominating accuser, abuser. Very helpful. All right, so we go back and we think, why would Paul choose to say that he is not under their Levitical Old Testament form of government. He called it witchcraft. When I've examined what Lord allowed me to study shepherding, controlling shepherding, it is using the law to have minimal relationships with women, people of dark skin, and it is used it does accuse people for not being under them. It jumps people. That's Levitical law. I call it Levitical Patriarchism. Western European usually Western well Western European Levitical Patriarchism, which is shepherding the old fashioned comes from the deep south. I believe it comes up from overseers, carpetbagger types. During slavery, when somebody had poor self-esteem and they need to be over somebody and the people weren't going to do it because they didn't really respect them. But now they got the law on their side and they can condemn them and ruin their reputation. Have complete authority over them and use the Bible to prove it. So we're using the Bible to get out from condemnation by by perceptive, seerish doctrine. So we want you to have a merry heart. A merry heart does as good as a less. You know, when I've been around the most, you can have joy, but you can have great joy. And I work for full joy. Pharisees do not have, they don't yet have full joy. They don't even know about full joy. Once you have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. That's another reason. A lot of people don't understand real women. I've noticed Phariseeism, the whelp does not. It's sort of like women are second class, third class, black people usually. And uh, they may not know it, but that's their tradition and that's how they project it. Or else they just have never met a real woman who has no secret agenda. And I deal with real men all the time. And there's so many polite ones and really wonderful ones. I think we're the ones, but when you're over in Welp, they're like, what in the world? They're just like dainty there's not a spirit of might. And I do have a spirit of might. That is what helps me keep preserved <laughs> from what I've been, go through, I've been through. When you get jumped in the back of you know, up in the front of a church and you're least suspecting, you're quiet, acting like James three seventeen, easily entreated all the time, fully respectful. And they accuse you, start to ream you out for using their awful vocabulary, like witch watcher and you're just standing there wanting to introduce yourself, say hello politely, and they call you like I was called out, out in the deep south. God sent you here, said the head Pharisee lady, because you're not under submission to any authority. And I went, what? How do you know me? I've never even met you before, and we've never talked. You don't even know my name. And that spirit, is it's a spirit, a religious spirit, a dead spirit back under the law. But anyway, God is so good. We want to think about new things. I heard a minute. Lord was telling me this, and then I heard this in a church. This is my opinion. Now I'm submitting it to you. We're in a, we're in a new place. That new place may be seeming raw or far off. Don't be anchored down or moved by the back, the past. Don't get all focused too much on the future because God hasn't downloaded it yet. He needs to download what he wants everything and everyone to do at every timing. The Christians I'm talking about. However, work on, right now, we're to work on whatever it is he says to do and don't put that off. And I'm doing that. One of the things the Lord had told me, and I went to a conference, I do believe in getting out with the body because I want to hear, I don't want to be an island, a law by God's, a law unto myself or a law against legalism to myself. I want to make sure I'm, you know, well-balanced, well-versed with God's help. And I still always have to work on that. I want to. So I was at a conference, and they were talking about uh, the Word of the Lord said that what you do now, if you do it in the next few months, it will help you 10 years, 8 to 10 years down the line. But what if you disobey it and not do what He's told you to do repeatedly, it will also affect you 8 to 10 years. And I looked at myself, and I said... God, I've had a lot of pressure, a lot of warfare, no really good home life privately. And I went, all right, Lord, I keep putting off the weight, eating, I eat correctly, but it's been so much pressure, you fall. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to buckle down. I'm not looking to the past. I'm not looking to the future. I'll do whatever he says. But that is what I kept, I really felt to really lose the weight, get it all off, be ready. So I am every day working on it. And we ask you to do it off because you want to have health in 10 years. You want to be here in 10 years. You're needed here now, but also in 10 years for your family and the work of the Lord. But God is good as mercy endures. We're for God's people. We're for you. Even if you tend to be a Pharisee or have been a Pharisee, we forgive you. God forgives you. But we're not going to. You know, I said <clears throat> I had a phrase and I got to go. If you say that you're a part of the Bible belt, then some of you need to remove that old plastic traditional buckle. That old timey plastic, insincere, faking, putting it off buckle on your Bible belt. To be the real Bible belt, you're going to have to really be a noble brand in the fear of the Lord, respectful to all kinds of men and women, young and old children, not an abuser, not an accuser, not a religious right, not a political partisan, but a one who's for the kingdom, who takes part in the kingdom across all colors, all styles, and all seasons, and all ages. We're intergenerational. Enter in to intergen, that's us. God is good. His mercy endures. God bless you. We're thankful for you. Uh, If you want to write and get prayer, dfwleader at gmail.com. If you'd like to sow and give, we're ready to go out. God wants us to get out better equipped to get a tour bus, a vehicle where we can sleep in it and go tour and witness to the born again evangelists, to the born again people groups to make sure they're really, really ready to go, really are the are really saved? That's our market. Twenty twenty clear vision. So please pray for us and support us by going on, onlinefellowship.us and look on the right at the the giving link at the top. God bless you. He loves you. This is Tavo DRC signing off for now. Bye bye.